0: Hello and welcome to the Biology Society of South Australia podcast, where we bring you conversations on all things biology in our state. Joining you again this year in 2020, your host, Bradley Bianco. So it's been a pretty crazy start to the year. For all of us, and it's taken me a bit longer to get the podcast off the ground than I was hoping it would. Um, you know, I'm still a student, I still work, and personal stuff, and all of those things make it that, unfortunately, for the first couple of months of the year, the podcast sort of took a backseat. But I'm happy to say that we're back. We've got a bunch of guests lined up. It uh, looks like with the physical distancing rules in place. A lot of these are probably going to take the form of Skype interviews, but here's one that I managed to get in before we all went into lockdown. This is my interview with Liz Milner. Liz is the president of the Friends of Black Hill and Marialta Conservation Parks, and she really goes into what the Friends group is all about, what they've done, and really interesting and ingenious ways of engaging audiences that wouldn't otherwise get a chance to go out and lend a hand in bush care. So let's hear it. Okay, with me today is Liz Milner from the Friends of Black Hill and Morialto Conservation Parks. Liz, thanks for joining us on the podcast.
1: Thank you, Bradley. Thank you for inviting me on.
0: First of all, let's hear a bit about yourself and how you got involved in the projects you've been involved in.
1: Oh, wow. So I'm going to go back to my younger years, given that I'm not so young anymore. I have a long history of a love for nature, a love for travel, a love for outdoor activities, individual outdoor activities like hiking and climbing and things like that, rather than sports events. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found that the more I travel, the more I realized I loved being out in nature. I realized that after spending 12 months in Europe, and then 12 months in Africa that I wish I'd spent the whole two years in Africa. What, what were you doing in Africa? Oh just traveling, oh, just right. very selfishly spending all my money and uh, going from wildlife park to wildlife park. It was just an incredible experience.
0: Supporting local economies then? Eh?
1: Oh of course I did it all independently and uh, therefore all my money went locally.
0: Great. So you have an interest in nature how did that lead you into bush care or the kinds of projects you're involved
1: in? That's really interesting, because I often question why I wasn't volunteering before I came to Adelaide, but I wasn't. Before I came to Adelaide in 2009, I didn't do any volunteering. And when I came here, I had just decided to retire from full-time work. So I went out and I tried to find volunteering opportunities that connected with me. And I actually found that quite hard Hmm uh particularly being in a new city so i didn't really have people to who were contacts to say well you know what's out there what can i do i started off working with a group who took disabled people out on holidays and then i also did some work with the awl um walking and petting cats and sorry walking dogs and petting cats and whilst those two were of interest to me, they didn't, I didn't connect with either of those as much as I did when I finally found the Friends of Black Hill and Morialta in 2010 and started going along to their events.
0: So you just had a general interest in wanting to volunteer?
1: Being in a new city, needing to do something, knowing that sitting at home all day on your own is just a really dumb idea and wanting to give back, wanting to find something that I was passionate about.
0: This is after not having a career in a nature-based industry.
1: No, I had a career in IT, so I I am officially a dinosaur. (laughs) I worked on Cobol programs for most of my professional life. And I always knew that whilst I was very good at the logic, at the end of the day, I spent every weekend out and about as much as possible in Southeast Queensland where I came from
0: and how did you find the Friends of Black Hill and Moriata
1: uh, we were wondering we I knew it existed already and I'll have to admit at the time I was feeling the effects of the global financial crisis and I went I found out that to volunteer with them you actually had to pay the money and I was like no I'm volunteering and I don't have an income anymore I can't do that But then we met them out in the park one day at one of their working bees. My partner and I were walking through and he turned around and looked at me and said, you should be doing this. I'm going to pay your membership for you. (laughs) And uh, he's paid it ever since. (laughs) (laughs) It's lovely.
0: So it was a bit serendipitous.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And just meeting the right person at the right time and feeling a connection.
0: And is that a park that you live near or
1: Yes, that was Moriolta. It was doing our at least once a week walk up to Moriolta Falls, which is along the bottom possibly less environmentally sensitive area of the park. The group had been out on one of their regular Sunday working bees. We maybe, just encountered them.
0: Maybe you could give us a bit of a description of the park what can one expect to find at Morialta if they have never been there before like you mentioned a waterfall and it's sort of famous I mean Morialta it's an indigenous word right?
1: Morialta is an indigenous word we believe it's actually a, um, a bit of a anglicising and indig- yeah indigenous <laughs> word I believe the original word was actually Moriata and I have read a number of different descriptions about what that means. Uh, I've found some of these as I was doing my doing my research for the Morialta Centenary. So the Morialta Conservation Park was declared a pleasure resort in 1915. Pleasure Resort. Yes, a national pleasure resort. And in 2015 we celebrated its centenary. Morialta is one of the most visited parks in South Australia. Wow. Uh, it's a conservation park rather than the national park and it has high conservation value. However it has a huge appeal to the public because it has the three sets of waterfalls, First Falls being First Falls imaginatively named being the most popular but people can walk all the way up the gorge to Second Falls, Third Falls. It's a fantastic um, gorge that you can walk through, it's got quartzite all the way up the walls, beautiful red in the late afternoon sun, and it's home to many fabulous creatures. And the top of the park is just incredible because it's full of really high quality bush that supports a couple of our very important nationally endangered species. Um, And I'm quite passionate about Making sure that we protect this habitat for our um, southern brown bandicoots and our chestnut-rumped mm-hmm. heathrens, which are the two that live up there.
0: Something we might talk about in detail a bit more later, but I believe I read somewhere. Does it mean Moriata? It means ever flowing. Ah, uh, sorry. A ref- it's okay. A reference to the to the permanent source of water.
1: Yes. So I understand that some people do say that it means um, ever flowing. However i've also read somewhere else that it means mori and Yatta, as in two different words that have been put together one meaning water and the other in the east mm. so i don't really know which one is correct and uh so much of our ghana language has okay. been lost that i have I, a number of years ago i did ask the question of the university group that were putting together a vocabulary however they've never managed to get back to me with a definitive answer, but that's okay, because we just talk about both. But most people seem to favor the ever-flowing or ever-running, and it did used to flow. Fourth Creek, the creek that, another one imaginatively named, that runs all the way through the park, used to flow 365 Mm -hmm. days a year. It is just the private lands at the top, the reduced rainfall, um, which has sort of slowed that flow with people who are extracting water from the water table with bores and the dams that are collecting yeah. water instead of it thro- flowing into the water table, it now is known to stop in summer.
0: That's a shame. I have a small anecdote to share about creeks. I grew up during the millennium drought, like many people my age, and I wasn't aware for the longest time that my local creeks were meant to have water in them. And it's just kind of... And when I realised, oh, this is not normal it was I, I remember that distinctly yeah yeah
1: wow that's yeah that's an incredible story actually yeah. yeah
0: but anyway tell us a bit more about the friends group you know how did you guys form um how long ago I mean it's it's an old park is it an old friends group as well have people been doing work in the park for a while
1: so the friends of black hill and Moriota are one of a a number of Friends of Parks groups. It wasn't the first Friends of Parks group, but it was one of the early ones. They had their first meeting in 1986 in August and their first activities were actually just cleaning up rubbish around the park. But by the end of that year, they had set up their first project site and they were working on the, again, imaginatively named Olive Hill. So Olive Hill is at the base of Morialta as you drive in the entrance to Moriolta it is the hill that's up to the right and uh, it used to be absolutely covered in olives. The project site is now such that half of it's absolutely covered in olives <laughs> and the other half has had substantial clearing and it's a really important eucalyptus perosa woodland, there aren't very many of those left and uh, it is the most intact one in the area. So. Oh, wow. So we do try and maintain that site. However, it has poor understory quality primarily because before the park was um, given to the South Australian government, well, it was partially given, partially sold, The they ran angora goats oh, okay. up over that area of the park. So a, a lot of species do seem to have been eaten out. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And Black Hill, how much does the, that site differ from Morialta in its composition of vegetation? So things like that?
1: I find Black Hill quite different because I find the focus of Morialta is the waterways all leaving into Forth Creek, whereas Black Hill is a much drier yeah. environment. It still, however, has a huge area of chestnut-rumped heathrene habitat and is important in its own rights. The Friends group, when it evolved, it started off with the work in Moriolta and then it moved into Black Hill in 1987, so just a year later they created a couple of project sites in Black Hill and you may or may not also know that the Friends of Black Hill and Moriolta also look after Horse Nalgali Conservation I did Park, not know that. so we have three of them. The under name our would be belt. too long
0: if you threw Hansel Gully in there too.
1: Yes, and that was um, the Rangers asked us to take on that park not because they wanted us to take it on, but because there was a Pembroke Scout leader who wanted to take his scouts out into the park, and they wanted it to be under the guidance of a Friends group. And so, yes, three parks since 1981, 1991 Sorry, and. Um, it, it, it makes us one of the larger friends groups in okay. the state. How many members do you guys have? So I would say financial members probably about 70 okay. and that number is gone up and down over the years but that's not unprecedented It's I was looking back in the history and you know 10 years ago we had a similar number okay. so um, it's changed its makeup a little bit in that we are losing our older members and but we're gaining some younger ones so we've had a bit of a renewal in the last maybe five years which is great for us because uh, we were beginning to see things go backwards instead of forwards and that of course is quite disheartening when you're out on the ground
0: so what does the friends group do how are you guys involved in the care and maintenance of the park
1: yeah so we work with the rangers and we do have a volunteer support officer within the Department of Environment and Water and they help guide us in the right direction because we haven't always worked in the right direction. Our um, aim these days is we try and do the best to protect the important habitats in the park. So really the best way for us to do that is to work in our best quality bush pushing the weeds in a downhill sort of direction and hoping that the bush follows behind us. I
0: believe this is termed the Bradley method. It
1: is the Bradley method, well done. (laughs) But um, traditionally, unfortunately, most of our project sites were in fact in the bottom of all the parks, in the gorges close to the car parks because the volunteers Mm. would just pop out of the car and let's work here. So our sites are often in the most visited areas, but they're often in many of the degraded ones, mm-hmm. but we've, we've put a lot of effort in the, uh, to turn that around recently and we're finding that that's really connecting with some of the younger people because they can see the benefits in, in doing that top-down thing and they have the energy to get up there and out there whereas some of our older volunteers, it's just too physically demanding.
0: Yeah, yeah. So three species of local fauna come to mind when I think of Moriatha and Black Hill. You mentioned already the chestnut front of heathren, the southern brown bandicoot, and one of my favourites, which I see quite often when I go to the park, is a Gurnia Cunningham eye, the Cunningham skink. What so let's go through each of those. What kind of habitat is the chestnut front of heathren utilizing in, in Black Hill and Marialta?
1: Well interestingly, this is where the works that we're doing actually complements each other because both the chestnut-rumped heath and the southern brown bandicoot need the heathland. They need that understory cover. Both of them are quite shy creatures. The chestnut-rumped heath is very cryptic. So cryptic I've never seen one. <laughs> Even though the group has chosen it as our logo and we've chosen it as our logo because from talking to our local district ecologist, he... Mentioned to us that without the Morialta, Black Hill, Gully, Heathland, which is currently supporting a viable population of heath wrens, if we were to lose those three parks in, in say, a fire event, mm. we would possibly lose the chestnut rumped heath wren from the Adelaide and Mount Lofty area.
0: Is this a Mount Lofty endemic species?
1: It, it is the um, Mount Lofty subspecies, however they do exist around australia but mm-hmm. it is the it is the yeah. mount lofty subspecies which is endangered listed as endangered um, but it also exists down on the fluria peninsula so it 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 persists all the way from yeah. from up where we are in morrel to down Through the
0: big something. yes yeah.
1: down that way yes there are lots of small sites.
0: And that dense vegetation you're saying provides cover for the southern brown bandicoots as well? It
1: does, it does. And the bandicoots like to um, hide in amongst the skirts of the xantherias, the the grass trees, and they quite like digging in the sandy soil at Mm -hmm. the top. So the soil at the top, one of the reasons that our heathlands at the top of these parks has survived so well is because it's quite poor quality soil which is fantastic because the weeds can't take a hold in the same way as they can down in the valleys where it's wet and moist. And you'll see all our blue gum forests just full of, of olive for that yeah. reason. But the bandicoot um, likes digging in the soil. When you go in the right areas of Morialta, you will find the little nose holes that they've left behind. It's very cute. Um, we have captured the Southern Brown Bandicoot on our wildlife camera oh, cool. again I have never seen one
0: yes, in, in the
1: park itself I've seen them at Cleveland. if you go to Cleveland, you can see them running around your feet because they feed them yeah during the day so they're quite easy to see you see them running around the cafe but the wild ones only live a couple of years they don't live very long um the females actually live longer than the males and and are the larger of the two and even they I think only live three years so it's Very easy for an incident to happen that could wipe out Mm. the the species. It doesn't, you know, because they're not long lived. It's it's quite easy to lose them. Is
0: this might be something you might not know about, but maybe you do. You know, with the fires that we just had in Kangaroo Island, so much habitat was burned that those those some of those rarer or threatened animals did not have refugia, did not have another place to go. Is there fire protection policies in place? for places like Black Hill and Morialta? Is there ways that we're trying to ensure that the whole set of habitat doesn't go all at once?
1: I think you'll find that the Department of Environment and Water, at the, the, the environment section of that has a whole fire department and they have a whole regime of control burnings not only to protect assets, which is what a lot of the burnings are, um, but also to protect habitat. So they have done control burning within Moriel to the last few years, some of it for asset protection, some of it to restore chestnut-rumped heathren habitat. They have actually found that the chestnut-rumped heathrines preferentially choose to live in a habitat which has been not so recently burnt mm-hmm. as in, in the last three to five years. That's what they preferentially like to, to be in and they've done lots of studies and found that once it starts to get over 10 years old, they will move out and spread out yeah. more. However, the first couple of years after a burn, it's, it's no good to them. So mm-hmm. they're, they're quite cautious with how much they burn and they, they had to run a huge goat eradication program in Morialta before they could do that burn because the goats were just trashing the yeah. heath run habitat. Um, yeah, so many things. And uh, I also know that they've done work, the fire de- department has done work with um, endangered orchids and, and there are other endangered species that respond well mm-hmm. to fire going through, so yeah.
0: It, lots, must, it, must be it. A, it must be a logistically difficult thing to manage when you're we're left with such small pockets of habitat that to create that mosaic, to have those different age classes which benefit different species at different times, that must be really difficult, especially in, I mean, you can see Morialta from the city, like it's yes. right there, it's so close to the urban environment, it must be very difficult to
1: manage. Y- yes, um, they do have a fire ecologist as part of that unit. However, we're given the information that they learn and share, and we do f- um, feed into their plans. In that we sometimes know where in certain species are, or if a threatened species lives in that area. However, yeah, they're highly qualified and they do it really without us. We just work with them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So you're kind of the boots on the ground.
1: Yeah, well, so I need to go back and say before I started my volunteering, I had no knowledge about plants or animals, except the things that I'd learnt as a general member of the public. So uh, the last 10 years for me have been an enormous learning experience and I've been on courses and I've done my own sort of Mm -hmm. research and we love to take photographs and so every year i have walked away going there is so much i don't know that i want to know and and that's why with everything that we do in the parks we're very much guided by the expert experience and knowledge of the departmental ecologists Mm -hmm. and rangers yeah Mm -hmm.
0: and that last species i mentioned the gurnia the coming on skink. skink yes another threatened species right yeah
1: yeah so yeah they're considered rare um, well so they get they <laughs> have
0: two designations one at the mount lofty level and one at the state level
1: well and this yes and, I
0: can't and this is I know, it's vulnerable one's the w- yes, and the lofty yes one
1: yeah one's vulnerable and the other's rare and they both come under the guise of a threatened species mm-hmm. I understand that the Morialta population is relatively secure mm-hmm. in that it's there's a really successful family that lives there. However, if something were to happen to that family, how would that change? We're not sure. We do know that there are at least four different sites that have the Cunningham skinks and we're beginning to understand a bit of a picture of how they do try and spread out and habitat other areas and we have a member that lives beside the park and he's got one that lives in his wood heap right so they can survive in other places they just preferentially prefer the north-facing sunny aspect in amongst the rocks and they need places that are cool enough to hide under in Mm -hmm. summer and warm enough to keep them comfortable in winter and
0: yeah I was wondering what is some of the work that the Friends group has been doing that you guys are most proud of?
1: Oh gee, that's a hard one. I would say in the last five years, possibly turning our focus into our threatened species areas and I created incredible Mythical beast last year, which mapped out for all of our members exactly where we'd worked and what we would protected And after years of working in a number of small areas all of a sudden we had covered hectares of area that was now clear of weeds whereas when we sort of started in there it it was all beginning to look a bit threatened so for me I think that's that's certainly what I'm most proud of what we've achieved over the years the Friends has done an incredible amount of work with with school children we have a We have some people that take out school children every week from Pembroke High School and they take them out, talk about the work we do, why we do it, and then the kids get involved and it's all part of their community, their community program which encourages the children to get out and and be part of different areas in, in a volunteering aspect.
0: So community engagement. Is that a big focus for the Friends group?
1: Yeah, so I did get a bit sidetracked with my last answer, sorry. That's okay. Community engagement is something that we try really hard to, to try and do different things to get people engaged. We've tried running bio blitzes and citizen science events, and people love them, however that doesn't seem to translate to people coming out and working on the mm-hmm. ground. So we love the educational aspect of that. But our passion really is trying to save these creatures. So our passion has been, you know, trying to get people engaged in our group itself. The other thing we've found is, is, is connection. If you've got people who connect with a place, then you can f- find people who care enough about it to mm-hmm. come along and make a difference. And in that respect, our Crag Care project has been incredibly successful
0: tell us a bit about what CragCat is for people who don't know.
1: So I'm going to start with the fact that I was a climber before I was a volunteer and I was actually on the Climbing Club of South Australia committee when I was first working as a volunteer in Black Hill and Morialta and I identified that there were areas of our climbing area so a crag if you look up the description is a rocky outcrop but climbers call the places they go and climb the crag in fact there's a whole website called yep. the crag that lists all the climbs Great website. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we realized that there were olives in the way of climbs there were blackberries growing over climbs and I went along to my committee meeting with the climbers and said look guys you know how would you feel about doing some work to remove these and I got a lot of support from the committee and then I went to the department and said, hey, I've got a group of young people who are keen to come out and work. How do you feel about that? And they said, well, we'd really like you to do that with the friends group. And I said, oh, that's okay. I'm on the friends committee too. I'll go talk to them. So it it took actually many, many months before we had all the right permissions. But finally, in May 2014, we held our first Craig Care. And I will admit that my partner and I were terrified about how many people might turn up because the Climbing Club has over 600 people on its emailing list, it's it's huge. And so we actually held it on Mother's Day hoping that not too many people would come (laughs) because it's difficult when you're taking people out for the first time and you're not quite sure Mm -hmm. what you're going to do. So that was great because we had four of us come out. And we got stuck into those olives that are the base of Billiard Table, which is one of the popular crags at Murray Alta. And from there, it's, it's just grown, grown yeah. and grown. And it's been fantastic because what started with the Climbing Club of South Australia moved to, to include the University of South Australia Climbing Club. It's also, we've had help from the um, Adelaide...
0: A UNC, you Mountain Mountain Club, Club.
1: that's yeah. right the scouts climbing clubs come in we've had outdoor education teachers come in we've had um, scouting leaders contact us so at different times we have all had all sorts of different people come in and all sorts of different connections so the official partners as in the people who have actually joined the Friends group at the moment are the Climbing Club of South Australia and the UniSA Rock Climbing Club. And we go out once every two months for two and a half hours and the difference that it has made to that area is just phenomenal. Yeah,
0: I can verify that for sure. (laughs) I'm very appreciative of the hard work.
1: Yeah, so the area was uh, covered with so many olives particularly through the entrance of the park and above all the cliffs however there are a couple of uh, uh, right above the cliffs is just fantastic high-quality bush mm-hmm. so the difference that we've been able to make sort of distancing the private land from the really good bush in the climbing areas it's, it's such a turnaround. The feel of walking through there is just totally different now. And this year we had a huge celebration because we finally worked on clearing the very last patch of blackberry that exists above the cliffs, which is just phenomenal. Congratulations. When I first started this project, I just used to look at that patch and go, my God, we are never getting to that. Yeah. So, yeah. Huge,
0: and has, has the. Has the work that Crag Care have been doing extended away from just the climbing areas? Are you guys now working in other parts of the park?
1: So what's fantastic about Crag Care is it's brought uh, a group of young, enthusiastic volunteers into the Friends group and what we're finding is that some of the climbers are so engaged with the work that we do, they're joining the Friends group directly. We have four of them on our committee now with the Friends of Black Hill and Marialta. and the input from them with respect to helping us understand what it is that young people Mm -hmm. are looking for in a volunteering opportunity, what connects with young people, how to get the word out there in a modern way Mm -hmm. because I'm a youngster on the committee. When I first joined I was the youngest on the committee and I'm really pleased to say I'm now one of the older members of the committee. That's just so exciting for me to see that we've had this sort of shift in, in connection and sort of involvement.
0: Yeah, I really must commend you because this is an incredibly difficult thing and it's to, to get people, especially younger people, involved and connected to this kind of thing and to capitalise on recognizing that there was an interested party that had a direct relationship to the land, to the park, that that's that's great and that's this is exactly the kind of thing that we need to to think of more, how can we get maybe mountain biking? Or you know, there's so many people who enjoy the outdoors that are uh, just need a way to get involved. And good on you guys for getting crack get started because yeah, it's such a bet. great idea. Yeah,
1: yeah, actually, it yeah. it has been a, a rough ride and. There was one very hot November when I was out there all on my own because my partner had gone climbing at Arapiles for the weekend and I was the only person that turned up to Cragcare and I was like, what am I doing here? It's 35 degrees <laughs> <laughs> it's hot. However, that's not how it is these days. It's just fantastic that we... Are getting record numbers more yeah. and more often and it's so exciting
0: I was at one of the Craig Care events I think two months ago and there were at least
1: 30 people there were 28 28 I, people. I, I, that's my job to total them up <laughs> count the hours, count the people we do need to report all of that information to the department and the department do cover us all as volunteers, mm-hmm. we're, we're all insured we're, you know, it's it's all very well managed in, the, in that regard, well, I like to think it is anyway um and
0: (laughs) before before we sign off um i was just wanting to know is there a project i mean we've, we've touched a lot of things here but is there something that you think has made a significant impact that the friends group has been doing whether it's the community stuff or protecting those threatened species or getting people involved is there something that stands out to you as you know i can leave the friends group as the president and say the impact this thing this had such a good impact such a great impact does anything spring to mind
1: uh, so it has again i'm going to go back to our chestnut rump friend habitat when i came on board i recognized that our group were not taking advantage of the financial opportunities available to them the grant funding in particular And I've put a lot of effort in the last few years to apply for grants through Landcare South Australia, through the South Australian government, through the NRM board, through the Friends of Parks board, through local councils. And then last year, we worked really, really hard for the last three years to try and get our group tax deductib- deductibility, so yeah. deductible gift-recipiency. That required us to work through our whole constitution, which took a year, it required us to apply to the department. That took, it was only meant to take a year, but it took almost two to f- apply to the right federal department to get put on the Register of Environmental Organisations. But anyway, the hooray moment was when we finally got put on the register last year. And we did run a very successful campaign for Black Hill in that we have in our Amber's Gully project site a huge area of very significant red gums, blue gums that were surviving really quite well on their own even though they were surrounded by olives. But all of a sudden with the drier summers Mm -hmm. and the less water, the olives are competing for both water and nutrients. And we were beginning to see these two, 300 year old trees die. And it was a, it, there were many stressed trees over there. We ran with the Landcare Australia people. We, we ran a really successful campaign to raise funds for that last year. And I can say that we raised enough to protect the individual trees. So the injection of funds has been a huge change. And what that particular project taught me was... There is a huge community of people out there that care about our environment. They might not have the ability to come out, or the time, to come out and volunteer. But they care, and if you give them a good enough reason, they will help, they will donate, and they are, every single one of them, by sharing the information, or by donating themselves, or volunteering on the ground they are all making a huge difference to what we can achieve on the ground and they are all connected in their own way to those parks they 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 have taken ownership and that's a beautiful thing i love
0: it absolutely love it and on that note if people want to donate come out to crape care get involved in the friends group how can they do that
1: so we have a website Fobhm.org, so that is just the ni- initials of Friends of Black Hill On there, it lists all of our upcoming working bees. We have a Google Diary that you can download and add to your Google Diary if you wish. It also gives the details on how you can donate directly to us on the website as well. We do have our own Facebook page, and we do have both a Twitter and an Instagram account. But I will say that... Um, some of us aren't so good at keeping those up to date. We're not as young as we used to be. <laughs>
0: well, we'll link to, we'll link to all of those places that people can find you in the show notes. And if they want to make a donation, that's tax deductible now. It
1: sure is. And it's such a good feeling because it makes me feel legitimate.
0: Great. Well, thanks so much, Liz. It's been great. Thanks, Bradley. Cheers. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. This podcast was produced with the support of the Biology Society of SA. If you would like to contribute to the Biology Society visit
1: www.biologysocietysa.com.